So here's where my head has been at lately. Mm. Around the time that we started taping for this series, I was like going through this realization that wasn't so much a realization and more of a like fear that I had experienced some trauma that would like just forever impact me, you Mm. know, and it was spiritual trauma and it was some reasons that I had left the church when I was young, some events surrounding that, that I won't get into because I've said them on mic. They haven't made it on (laughs) any episodes. (laughs) Not that they're not worth talking about, but as far as like being revelatory about my own pathology and stuff, I think there's just a lot of, a lot of confusion can happen when you're just like public about the root cause of your suffering. Yeah, definitely. When it's not necessarily diagnosed and it's not necessarily actually the root cause. And I think there was more to figure out. And I think I was wise to hold back a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. But something I realized recently as I was kind of thinking about community and belongingness is that, of course, I feel an absence of community or I feel this weird need to impress a community in order to belong to it because that's all I knew mm. for the first 13 or so years of my life was like every community activity Mm. and every sense of belonging that came from community was coming from the church. The church was my community, you know, because growing up it was, you know, if we went to a cookout or went on, like I was homeschooled for some of my childhood, Mm. if I was social at all with other kids, it was other homeschooled kids or other kids in the church. Like, all community activities and organization was done through fellow homeschooling families or fellow church going families. Hmm. So that's where it happened naturally. And I think that's where a lot of communities really benefit is like having the church as the kind of the weekly check-in with one another. And just like, it is this built in integral part of how people socialize and how people stay connected, Mm. you know? And I see a lot of value in that, but realizing that has pointed out to me that like, that is the value that I lost Mm. when I decided like, I'm not going to be this person anymore. And I can't say I regret the decision, but it's, it's like, I took that community element for granted, Mm. not even consciously, but like, and it it took me 20 years to figure it out. (laughs) But like, I wonder now how to belong without there being a built-in system of belonging. Yeah. And I think that's a lot more important, a lot more essential to this growing process and this coming to terms with community, coming to terms with fitting in uh, and playing a role within a larger body of people Yeah. than this sort of crisis that I was having a year ago about like, but what about this trauma? Yeah. I'm not saying it wasn't trauma. Like yeah. It hurt, but... I think more than that, it's kind of like I'm tra- I'm changing the narrative from it's all about fear yeah. to I was taking something for granted that isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. And how can I get it back? Yeah. And it's hard to know how extricable those are from one another, too, in a way, because it's a, it's got to be a powerful bond, right? Like, I've never experienced, uh, like, the church setting in that way. Yeah. 
but it strikes me as something that would be an incredibly unifying force. Right. Because it's, I mean, it's profound. It's a lot of, it's this life, it's the next life, it's lives before. It answers a lot of questions. Yeah. 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 So Even it's, questions that you didn't have when you were young. But Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it, there's just a, like a certainty to that and a comfort to that that must be very helpful in bonding a group of people together. Yeah. Because it, I don't know, maybe, do, do you think those kinds of groups don't grow and molt and mutate the way that, I don't want to say more organic groups, but, you know, groups that might be, you might find yourself in as opposed to kind of be raised in. Because think about like a social group, like just your average, like a tight friend group where it can be just as meaningful in a different way. Right. But eventually people will move in different directions. Like yeah. different sects will emerge as people start to get married or as people develop new ideas or change or whatever the hell happens. And that seems to me is to be like a real asset that religions have a lot of times is things are laid out. So Right. There's a map. Yeah, yeah. So you can all grow within this thing that isn't going to change right. too much. Yeah. That's allowed to mutate in a lot of communities that I've heard about mm. and probably would have been allowed to mutate in, within my own community. I, I grew up in a lot of very non-traditional churches. Yeah. Um, some were very traditional. Some were like rented space in office buildings. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you see more and more of those popping up all the time. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say. It, I, I will say that like... When I sort of had this, I won't use the word atheist, but I, I declared myself to be unreligious <laughs> without yeah. religion Yeah. Um, when I was 21. And the year before that was kind of my last foray into, is this the community that I belong in? Because mm. I was dissatisfied with a lot of friendships, right? Yeah. Just kind of in that, like, I felt a malaise. I felt a... Is a Deftone song <laughs> called Hole in the Earth. <laughs> and the chorus is, I hate all of my friends. They all lack taste sometimes. There's a hole in the earth. I'm out. And that was exactly how I felt <laughs> literally at the time that it came out. Yeah. <laughs> and like, So I decided to join, I was in college, I decided to join Christian Fellowship mm-hmm. and, uh, see like you know this this was about the age that my parents had similar feelings mm. and went down this path instead of the path that they were on maybe i'm destined to do the same thing and for two reasons this might work for one there is a template that i know that i was raised with mm. this can't be that much different from the last time that i was really involved which was like when i was in youth group age 14 or so mm. And number two, like I've heard my parents' stories about this time in their lives and what they got together to do and and the kind of people that they were meeting and the kind of actions that they were taking as a community that they were forming in their young adulthood. So I had two templates to follow, really. Yeah. But to answer your question, a couple months in Christian fellowship and I very quickly realized that I was not in a community that I was confident would mutate with what my decisions had been up to that point and what my lifestyle changes had been. Like it was accommodating for people who were lifelong members. Yeah. And I bailed because I honestly felt like my past was too dark for that group of people. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like it, it felt too much like youth group. It felt too much like that innocence was still present. Yeah. So I bailed Mm. and, uh, had a real, 
<laughs> a real hard time embracing atheism, but kind of did for a few years. Yeah. But again, I don't want this to be about yeah. <laughs> religion. Um, I want to focus on the on the more community elements of it. Yeah. And I'm hoping that this can be a recurring, not a series necessarily, but a recurring thread throughout this season. You know, you and I have talked at length about community and mm. how much trust it requires and what a struggle belonging is. Yeah. And I think it would be helpful if we could uh, unearth some strategies and some tools. I mean, a big one to me that jumps out that isn't, I've never heard it really talked about is the letting go. Yeah. To begin with the end in mind in Uh the least office park sense, like just kind of like, there's always going to be a trade-off between how enduring a community is and how much growth it actively allows its members to foster in Mm -hmm. themselves. And that's a pretty natural trade-off just because like people are going to either be kind of comfortable and inert and you know and there's this thing that exists together or they're going to be finding new things and there's just too many it's like the pool ball thing like there's just too many ways that this this thing can break yeah so i think beginning any kind of a communal relationship with that either with that piece or with some desire to remain curious about it Mm. is crucial because then everything else becomes sort of um, declawed and it's like okay to some extent like you're not scared by you know growth or aberrations or different basically it will reduce the pressure to where any other strategies will be able to work more effectively and that's yeah. something I've never heard discussed in in a community sense is that you will one one day outgrow this mm-hmm. it's just a matter of or your people around you will yeah but it's going to be a matter of is it is it healthy? Is it, is it packed with animosity? Is it something you guys can all look back on fondly? Can it turn into just a new shade of what it was? Like, mm-hmm. so I, that's something I've been very guilty of is not necessarily beginning with that in mind, but as I've aged, I've found that it's very important and to not let that become nihilism or some kind of warped like fatalism. Yeah. We're like, this is just going to end anyway. So it's like, that's kind of going to accomplish nothing as well. Yeah, that doesn't fix anything. You know that rock battle that Dave Grohl was in last year with that girl from the internet? Yeah, I think so. Like this 11-year-old drummer girl, right? Yeah. So they finally met recently. Okay. Foo Fighters played a show and she was able to, to go there and meet the Foo Fighters and get on stage and she joined them forever long and it was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was a great performance, first of all. Yeah. Second of all, in the middle of it, I just, I was like, what is happening? And I started crying. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what is this? <laughs> and something I've been thinking about is the need for a young adult... In her case, she's 11 years old. But, like, the need to be cheered on yeah. by the older generation. Yeah. The need to be recognized f- for what you're striving toward. Mm-hmm. The need to be recognized for your interests and your passions and your aspirations. Mm. And to be cheered on. Right? Yep. And I was just weeping joyfully, basically. Yeah. Like, happy that this girl was getting the support. Yeah. That early on in her life. And I think it's not that difficult to get support that early on in your life. 
because you haven't really started rebelling against anything yet, typically. (laughs) But, you know, just seeing that she was getting that kind of support from maybe, you know, from rock stars of that caliber, that means something. Yeah. But part of the whole, like, leaving the church thing that was difficult was that I didn't have that support anymore. Yeah. You know? When I was growing up, I was going out to coffee houses with my dad and everything, and he played in bands, and all of his friends were musicians, and as I was becoming a guitarist and they were like watching me learn and stuff like having those role models that looked at you and said like yes you're learning someday you will be one of us even if you're not one of us you're accepted and you're you're welcome to come to with us to to dunkin donuts after the gig and hang out (laughs) for a while you know like like that's a very specific feeling and that's another thing that's taken for granted yeah like the closest thing that i felt after that was when i was on track to become a teacher. And of course, like there's, you know, you have some friends whose parents are teachers as well. I didn't know you back then, but they're always happy when you're making that decision. They're always like giving you advice and everything. And like, I felt a little bit of that and that was fostered when I needed it to be fostered. But looking back on it, I'm like, yeah, you give some of that up when you make certain kinds of choices, you give some of that up and you don't know how much you need it. Yeah. And now when I see it in movies and television and stuff, I just, I pine for it. I long yeah. for the support of the older generation. And it's yeah. weird because it's, this is a time in my life when I can't necessarily get it anymore. Yeah. You know? So I think that's where the pining comes from. I'm sorry, I'm going a little long. Well, no, that's just, that's something they never tell you is that there is a cutoff for this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it will stop at a certain, even if you're doing all the same shit. Yeah. <laughs> you're closer to being the older generation than then receiving the praise from it. And then it's like, Oh shit, I didn't even think of that. So yeah, it makes sense, man. Well, and that's the conclusion to come to, right. Is that like, I'm in this position now where I can do the fostering myself, Mm -hmm. where I can mentor younger people. And I've certainly put myself in that position before and it feels nice. Yeah. I didn't become a teacher, but I did a lot of volunteer work at my old high school Yeah, while I was doing my practicum and while I was substitute teaching and stuff. Like I was involved in the community. I did a, I taught an after school journalism workshop for a few years. Like it was, it was a fun time, Mm. but you know, I think about that now and it's like, well, I can do the fostering myself. I can do the mentoring myself. But I still feel like I need a little bit more of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I think that's so much of belonging. That's so much of feeling like you're on the right track with the right people. Yeah. Being supported in the right way. Well, it can set off a really nasty um, chain reaction of kind of pain and rebellion I've found too. I felt a similar thing when I left college, like when I was probably 20 or so. Yeah. And I just... uh, I didn't realize like that I had the same thing where I I yearned for that type of acceptance and that type of validation and Mm -hmm. that warmth, you know, and I never even considered that when it's done, I want to say correctly, but like when it's administered in its most like accurate form and it's what they intend it to be, it doesn't feel conditional, but it is conditional. (laughs) It is. As all hell. And Uh like it... (laughs) It can stop if you violate those conditions and then that right. can lead you in this like, it's like, a you know, getting slapped. Like you're just kind of like, well, holy shit, what the hell is that? And I don't know, it can just set off this chain of events where now you're yearning for it again, but you've lost a little bit of faith in it or something temporarily. And it, it just, you keep basing your decisions on the same kind of corrupted information and then 
by the time you're wise enough or you've been through the cycle enough times to realize this is just the pattern, this is just the deal, you're too old to receive it in that form. Right. And it's vicious, you know, because it's not, I don't know any other way that it could be done. Like, I don't know any other way that you could like raise somebody. Because if you tell them it's conditional, you're, you're being <laughs> forthright, but that's fucked up because then the warmth isn't there. And if you don't tell them, it still is. Yeah. No matter how accepting you are, because you're either going to lose the support or you're going to lose the understanding. Mm. But it's, I don't know, it's just, uh, it's difficult. and Yeah, and that makes me think like, maybe that is a part of why I reject labels and, and preconceptions mm. so wholeheartedly. Like, because I, I think what you're saying, it being conditional, in some cases it being transactional, like there's a preconceived idea of who you'll be or what role you'll play within a certain community yeah, or what ideas you'll pass along once you're in their position, you know, yeah. to the next generation or, you know, there's a lot of that conditional support where a mentor or a parent or a leader of some kind will only give you the support if they think that you're going to develop into what they have raised you to be mm -hmm. or what they think the community needs. I've, you know, I've been watching um, Friday Night Lights, which is thank God back on Netflix. Yeah. And <laughs> like everyone in the community looks at these young football players, these young high schoolers as like, that's the enrichment that the community has and needs more of yep. and needs in perpetuity yeah. because that's what makes money and that's what is entertaining and that's what builds character yeah. and that's what like defines this this whole region yeah definitely. you know and i love the show for its display of community and solidarity and all of these elements that yeah. like there are par parts of that show that absolutely just make me break down in tears because yeah. like it shows something that maybe I've never felt, or it, it is another one of those, those examples. When when I see it on TV, I cry. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I, and I long for it. Yeah. But if any of those guys wants to play soccer, are they allowed to, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so it's, it has a lot to do with like who those fosterers are, what their values are and what they want you to develop into. Yeah. And then you kind of feel like you aren't allowed to, go against the grain and then will you still feel as accepted or as supported? And it can be tricky because you can lose the community without losing the love in some cases. Yeah. Or without like, I mean, you can absolutely lose both, but you can also, I think like it can get to a point where people can support you in like an emotional sense maybe, or can be like, well, listen, we're not going to like cut you off. Like you're allowed to come back to town and shit, but we don't know what you're doing at this point. Mm -hmm. And you still lose community that way. Like you're still on your own. You've just got their blessing. And yeah. there's so many facets to that feeling or that set of feelings or that experience or whatever that, that emerges there. That yeah. is, it is not comfortable. And <laughs> <laughs> like, I would argue that even the people that, consider themselves the freest spirits like the most i don't need any community guidelines i'm being my own person and all that there's still a sort of anti-community you know it's like there's still the negative space like you're in a community of renegades just because you don't talk mm. doesn't make it less of a community because the instant you violate those rules you get kicked out of that community right it's like how punks can be i was just you know, it's like say. the most counterculture <laughs> like we're being our own people but if you show up yeah. in khakis 
uh-huh. guess what? Uh-huh. <laughs> so like, if you wash that denim vest, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? <laughs> so it's just it's kind of funny because it's so inescapable, and it leads to the same goddamn heartbreak. Yeah. Every time, but it's it's very hurtful too, and uh, you know I have the same reaction to like when I see somebody getting cheered on like that. But you're right, it it really is like you got to be kind of in their image. Yeah, and it brings about like clearly defined roles. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like either you're either you are in a mentor protege situation where like you're going to fill someone's role once their time is gone or yeah. fill that same role in a different community yeah. that has that need. Right. And you'll feel that, fill that need. But in order to be an individual and still be accepted, and this isn't true. This is just the way that it feels, but to be accepted, you almost have to like take on the role that is given you. Or if you're not comfortable with that, if it's not you, then there are some expectations that need to be managed for you to take on a different role and do a different kind of work and fill a different kind of need. So I think that when, see, this is the problem is that I've never really known how to be an individual and be integrated into a community. And I think the problem is that I've always been very bad at voicing and managing my own expectations yeah. Because of how it will sound to others or how it will contradict yeah. what a community stands for. And I'm getting better at it as years go by because really what power does anyone have over me at this point? Yeah. And that's freeing. But it's also a little difficult to know what role I can fill in other people's lives Yeah, when it's very, very cloudy in terms of my youth and what roles I needed people to fill in my life. Yeah. That I either wasn't paying attention to or forgot or just didn't have. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I would argue that that shows the most clearly like the the mechanical function of a community, at least like just that it's so um, pro-social and it's so important to us, just the way that we're wired and the way that we encounter the world. It's like, it serves that purpose. So it's, it's hard to, it's both hard to be an individual mm-hmm. and hard to fault yourself for not being the kind of individual that is commonly like kind of encouraged in that way. And also that it's very easy to just put upon yourself. Cause it's like, you're as much of an individual as like, there's an individual spark plug in an engine. Like, yeah, you're your own thing, but you're also doing another thing in the context of this yeah. machine. Like- so you ever work a festival or like some kind of event where, you know, either you're like in a, par- a parking attendant or you're a ticket taker or you're, you know, yeah. and we might've talked about this on workaholism, like the delegation of roles. Yep. But yeah, it's like y- you acknowledge that it's for a greater thing. Not that if you're a parking attendant, you have to be impassioned about the, <laughs> the yeah. greater thing, but like just as, as an analogy, like there is something bigger happening. Mm-hmm. There is a more cohesive unit that is allowing you to play the role that you play, but like it's going to come with its own joys and challenges, Yep. but it's also going to come with the responsibility, the burden and the uncertainty of like, you have to sign up for the job. Yep. You have to choose which position you want to fill and not let someone else choose it for you Mm. and still have confidence that that decision will be, admired and respected 
And if you choose to fill none of those roles, Mm -hmm. to have the confidence and the faith that like, that that choice will be respected. Well, I mean, a lot of it comes down to the the awareness of your role in that setting too. Like I think it's, if you start questioning things like this, then in a similar way to like what I started off saying, like that beginning with the sort of understanding that this will change at some point for some reason, it's kind of similar. It's like just realizing that like, this is conditional. This is something that I'm playing a part in. I can still be me in it, but basically just realizing like, is this enough? Is this fulfilling? Am I comfortable with this? Like just constantly checking in yeah. with yourself about stuff like that. Cause past that point, I mean, everything is, it's fine. You know, I think that's to me why the idea of being like the emphasis we place on being an individual in, if you say at least like nationally, like in, in a country where that's not necessarily encouraged on the ground level, but it is very much encouraged on the ideological level. Yeah. I think it diffuses that to a large extent when you're aware that like, yeah, there's a society going on. It's cool. We need this. Like this saves us from a lot of pain. This saves us from a lot of confusion and and just chaos. And we need this, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to come at the expense of your own growth or your beliefs or your, your agency really. And from there it can turn into anything, you know, it can be like, you can kind of come and go as you please. You'll still feel some shades of that longing and that pain, but it'll be the same as like, you know, nicking yourself with something and feeling a sting, like cause and effect as opposed mm. to a quandary. Yeah. Cause I don't think there's any way to completely eliminate some of those once you have that awareness at least. Yeah. I'll tell you what's been a struggle for me, actually, that I'm kind of just realizing now. Mm. You know, those mentorship roles or those, like, I guess with any of the roles that happen within community, like, I am I think I'm still uncomfortable filling any of them. Mm. This sounds ridiculous. <laughs> um, this isn't always true. A lot of the time it is true that I get uncomfortable when I have to be like in a community event or in a community space with older generations of people, Mm. if it feels like I am hierarchically lower than them, Mm. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not always true. Mm -hmm. Conceptually it's true. Yeah. You know, like thinking about it in the abstract, Mm -hmm. it feels uncomfortable to me. Yeah. And I think it's always just felt uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) because I think it, because it puts me back in that, in that headspace or, um, like the kid not knowing if I'm accepted. Yeah. You know, and I'd like to think that I'm too old to feel that way, but I'm not apparently, (laughs) I don't know if it ever goes away. It's definitely not an age thing. Yeah. Cause I mean, why would it be really? Why would it be? Yeah. It's that acceptance is, or that at least that kind of inner peace. I mean, that just has to come about kind of of its own accord or through the right combination of experiences. Yeah. But I also think that that's why roles are important because if you have enough confidence in the role that you're playing and enough confidence that like you are filling that role correctly mm-hmm. and that like you're doing it better than anyone else in the room could, Yeah, you know, then who's going to tell you how to do your job? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's, you know, part of it's about confidence. Part of it is, it is about like 
I, I keep thinking about this in terms of of the festival analogy. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm I'm thinking about it in terms of like actual doing your job. Yeah. But and I guess it's interesting that when I'm picturing community, I'm picturing like functions. Yeah. Like I'm picturing organized potluck dinners. Yeah. <laughs> like a Boy Scout fundraiser or like a yeah. a church luncheon or whatever it may be. Yeah. But I guess that's the thing is like it's 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 easier for me to imagine that kind of thing where there are specific delegated roles yeah. that people have to fill. Yeah than it is to imagine community in the abstract or a community conceptually yeah where you just belong because i think yeah. i'm i think that's the it's like if you think of it as just playing a role mm. and then you're then it's transactional isn't it yeah it's like you're kind of giving service to the community and therefore belong but at the same it. time it's almost like like when somebody dusts for fingerprints or something, it's like when it's a function, that's when it's visible. It still might yeah. be there, but you need to create something kind of on top of it real quick so that you can see all the constituent parts or it's like getting an x-ray or whatever. Like it's mm. a way of freezing it for a minute yeah. and seeing like, cause through each role you can see each person's strengths. You can see each person's personality. You can see this community's values. Like so much stuff becomes apparent. Like, I mean, a festival is a really good example of that because you look at a festival and you can see all these different types of people and all these different walks of life coming together and you can analyze it from any angle. Like you can see who's comfortable and who thrives when they're taking orders versus who's, who gives the orders versus mm -hmm. who's there to kind of just enjoy shit. How much are people willing or able to pay for these experiences financially or spiritually? How long do people last in this setting? Do some people go home? Do some people not? When you take away the actual like festival itself, I mean, it becomes so much more nebulous because you might see some techs hanging out, clearly still like doing work and breaking it down, but a lot of those people will just go home and reassimilate back into their lives. But that community could still kind of be there. Like think about like a fish show or something, you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. all those people will go back into plain clothes at the end of the day. I mean, maybe fish isn't a great example because I think a lot of them kind of stay, but I don't know, Dave Matthews. Sure. You know, kind of a <laughs> Can't wear Birkenstocks forever. Yeah. <laughs> It'll get cold, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, I think there is something really helpful about looking at a community in the concrete like that, but it, you're right that it would become, when you remove certain elements, it would get transactional. But right. I also don't think that transactions alone make it transactional. Because mm. I think like the transactions can be in pursuit of a collective goal mm -hmm. that everybody shares and then delegates and agrees. Like we have to have all of this shit get done in order to make this goal happen. Yeah. Or it can be transactional to a fault where it's like, you're only here because your only value to us is this. And that would be probably less of a community. For some reason, this makes me think of Lord of the Flies. <laughs> <laughs> That's where my mind goes to. <laughs> but like something about that, like from, do you think those guys became a community at some point? Were they one going in? Because it's something about, I've always loved the way that that story pretty accurately shows how social 
structures and institutions can be created out of necessity. Like, yeah, it's fiction, but I think he does a really good job of showing you these kind of relatively innocent people establishing relatively simple ground rules to deal with a relatively ambiguous situation. And slowly that becomes sort of distorted and perverted when ulterior motives and desires become present. Like once you get comfortable enough, then you can start getting greed back into the picture and hierarchies can sort of form. And then once those form, some people are going to want to be on the top of them. But I kind of wonder, were they a community the whole time? Did those form at some point in that process? Mm. I think that no matter what, in any kind of in any kind of survival situation with that many people involved, mm. like someone is going to assert themselves as, as a leader. Yeah, you know, and obviously that's the first step that has to happen in order for a hierarchy to form. The top forms first. Yeah. So, you're saying that just now actually made me think like a lot of the <laughs> a lot of my reservations about community belonging, acceptance, participation has to do with who's the alpha. Yeah. You know, it has to do with who's the leader, mm-hmm. who's the one making the decisions, who's the one, because often those people are steamrolling the hell out of a, <laughs> a lot of other people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I've known a few of them and, you know, well-intentioned people, mm-hmm. but it's hard to feel First of all, hard to feel that you belong when you don't feel like your intentions, your beliefs, or your suggestions are being heard. Mm. Second of all, just depending on the type of person, like I'm not an alpha person at all. Mm. I'm pretty decent as a leader depending on the situation, but I'm not an alpha. Yeah. I'm not a type A, always need to take charge type person. Mm. But if you say, can you take responsibility for this, delegate to others as needed, yeah. I can do it. Yeah. You know, and that's just confidence and responsibility. But then, you know, when you are someone like me <laughs> who depend like I I like leadership. I like falling in line with a good leader. But when that leader is maybe self-absorbed yeah. or when that leader maybe has something different in mind or is not taking suggestions, mm-hmm. not taking criticism, that gets really tough. So, and then real quick, translate that to unable to take suggestions or criticism or differing opinions based on ideological standards. And that's when communities get really difficult to belong within. I don't know if this was completely tangential, but but just in terms of how those structures come to be, the leadership comes first, I think. Mm. But that's also what can become really uncomfortable when you're thinking about belonging within a group, within any kind of tribal system is if you disagree with who the leader is. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, I think that's what I'm more likely to take on. Maybe not, but sometimes I'm probably more likely to take on leadership roles when I would be really dissatisfied with the alternative. Yeah. (laughs) Like who might take on the leadership role otherwise. But that's like an interesting misnomer that happens sometimes with leadership, I think, is like, it's a role, you know, it's not Uh necessarily that you're the most qualified or you're the top dog or whatever. It's just, it's a job really. And and you're right. Like that leadership qualities are kind of, they're qualifications in and of themselves. Like, Mm -hmm. like being a manager is just as much of a job as being a team member. and, And there is some 
great value in the harmony that can happen when you've got somebody who just knows how to lead and because that would include stepping back or include like letting people kind of fill in. I think some of it is the way we like some of Western values, you know, like some capitalistic values and stuff that equate that top sort of like spearhead position with personal um, capabilities and stuff and social standing. Like if you think about it, those don't necessarily have to go as hand in hand as they do. Mm -hmm. But it would be absurd if like somebody just was trying to force themselves into like, like, I don't know if you're like a project manager or something and, somebody's just trying to force themselves into being an engineer and they don't know math and they don't know what the hell machines do, but they're just, no, I'm a goddamn engineer. And they're like <laughs> jamming themselves into that box at everybody else's expense. Mm -hmm. It would look ridiculous and it would probably get shut down immediately, but you can absolutely have somebody cramming themselves into a leadership box and that can trickle down and fuck up everything else in the community. Yeah. And have you ever heard of the Peter principle? The Peter principle? No. It's like, people generally get promoted to their level of incompetence. And it's a thing that's sort of arisen in a lot of the way that Western businesses work, where like somebody will start at the bottom of the ladder and they'll get promoted up and up and up and up until they're running things. And they are potentially not qualified yeah. to run things. There's a great um, Stuff You Should Know podcast episode that talks about this at some point, but they basically were saying that like, it's seen a lot in like engineering firms where somebody might be a brilliant coder or a brilliant engineer and they would get promoted because they're really good and because they want the increased pay to become a manager or a VP or something. And that doesn't, their coding ability might not mean that they have people skills, which are sufficient to lead a group of people. Mm -hmm. That's why I think it's necessary to know yourself within the context of whatever greater community you're in, whether it's like a professional thing like that, where there are actually quantifiable gains and losses, or you're in more of a social or spiritual or academic or anything like that setting. Hmm. You know, it's, there is absolutely nothing wrong with being the parking attendant at the festival or with taking orders. If you're comfortable taking orders or with giving orders, if you're comfortable giving orders, like, each thing needs to be fulfilled. And I think like there's a lot about communities that fundamentally aren't wrong, even though they get construed as being kind of wrong, but they can very quickly and very easily get corrupted. You know, like again, like the Lord of the Flies people, that was like, it's such a great vision of how a society can come out of nothing or out of a little shred of necessity, but how quickly those things can start to pollute it based on everybody's values and the cultures they were brought up in and that kind of thing. And, because greed never should have emerged in that situation. And ego shouldn't have had room to thrive. Everybody was on a beach using a conch shell as their social structure and their government. Like, that's, you are several steps removed from greed at that point. Like, you're still figuring shit out. And so it just kind of shows, like, as soon as certain needs are taken care of, or as soon as there's a certain level of comfort, communities can change. Yeah. And I would argue that they weren't a community coming into that. They were a group. But I think once they started to share legitimate and newly formed values and ideas and laws and like goals and stuff that they probably, without knowing the literal definition of community, I think that's when that started. And it was so shortly after that, that it kind of went to hell. <laughs> so it's interesting.
you know, all of this hypothetical stuff about the the functions and the events and the festival and whatever and the roles like just makes me realize that it is more hypothetical and abstract in my mind than I think it should be because it's not something that I feel. And I don't know if it's something that I'm close to feeling or will feel with a little bit more effort because I think it's more circumstantial than ju- than just trying where you are, you know. I think it's also about being okay with where you are. Mm. Being like where I currently live, I don't know how to be a part of the community despite having been asked by some community leaders to be more involved. I'm yeah. like involved in what? Yeah. <laughs> you know. I've volunteered at the library to help out with the book sales and stuff like that. Mm. And that's been its own special kind of of rewarding, you know. Mm. But it's all it also has to be about the belief that you're getting involved knowing that you will grow and enjoy growing within that group, I guess. Yeah. And not have aspirations outside of that small town in my case, you know, and like, I don't want to be here forever. Yeah. That doesn't mean that I can't participate now, Mm -hmm. but I think it's very abstract to me because it's not something that I feel. It's not, it's not something that it's not even really that it wasn't modeled for me. Mm -hmm. I think it was modeled. (laughs) It was modeled for me in church and then in academia. Yeah. And I didn't stick with either one. Yeah. So I think it's just difficult to find outside of those two sort of organizational frameworks in a way that is sustainable or in a way that is like easily attainable. Well, maybe people need different amounts of it too, or have different levels of attachment that they kind of require with it. Cause it, I mean, I think like a small town is a really good way of looking at that because even there you can remove the idea that you're contributing something material and you can still be a part. Like think of all like the barflies in a lot of small towns sure, who don't actively necessarily play a role or have like a job. Sometimes even literally like it's just kind of, you can be that like the town drunk and still be a member. Like my parents were watching Andy Griffith earlier, but like uh-huh. you can be Otis and you're just as much a part of that community in a way yeah. as Andy is. Yeah. Because he comes around, everybody knows it's Otis. He has his own key to the jail, lets himself <laughs> in. It's like how more, how much more <laughs> integrated into a community can you be? Yeah. But you know, it's not a one size fits all thing, and it's a little bit more tailored than it. No pun intended. Than, than it seems. But like, what do you think is the the atom of a community? Like, what's the smallest and most basic version of one? In mm. terms of amount of people, in terms of values, in terms of roles, whatever. Like, just the unsplittable community that's a really good question you mean like a a real world example that would be an actual microcosm of a greater community sure yeah or just in general i mean just like what is the like really the atomic level of of how many people what would need to be done why would it be there like what would separate it just a a little group or a social unit from a community if anything i don't have an answer to this at all i'm completely hazy in this sense but I think maybe that's where chosen family and community are disambiguated mm. a little bit in a sense, because even, even as we've been talking about roles, like we've been talking about like labor roles and yeah. physical roles and vocational roles. But when you're talking about chosen family, there are a lot of emotional roles yeah. you're taken into account. And, you know, with, with community as well, but with chosen family, you're looking at like my six, my most successful relationships with, with chosen family have been like with an actual family you know where Mm -hmm. like 
there was sort of a there was a father figure who to me was more like a like a cool uncle yeah of course but um you know a, a sister figure a brother figure like all of which playing different supportive roles and different emotional roles for one another and and different types of encouragement different like so i think you know you view you view it like a potluck almost yeah you know uh, like an emotional potluck mm. but i think that's the difference like chosen family there are roles that people play mm. you belong unconditionally because that's what family is or at least that's what we're all searching for yeah in our actual family and chosen family and maybe community is just that scaled up but because it's scaled up some hierarchy comes into play mm. or because it's scaled up some like oh yeah that might be it more rules and conditions apply what are you thinking Oh fuck! I just had it. It was good too. <laughs> uh, shit. <laughs> well, I mean, essentially along the lines of like, I think that sounds right to me, you know. And it seems like maybe communities emerge right at the moment families end. Like it's mm-hmm. right when our like capacity for intimacy is gone. Oh, that's interesting. It's where we agree. All right, we all have the same idea here. Yeah, but we're no longer sitting around a table. Right. I would argue that that's like the precise moment a community emerges in its most unrefined primitive sense. Sure. But in order to see it, in order to govern it, in order to maintain it, a hierarchy has to emerge. Social structures have to emerge because that's the only way we know how to extend ourselves Yeah. past that immediate kind of that immediate unit. I mean, here's what just came up for me is that like, you know, once you're dealing with the familial level, the family or the chosen family, the community is when people <laughs> aren't supposed to show up uninvited. <laughs> 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 but I don't like that so much because, I mean, it's true, but <laughs> I, I don't like it so much because, you know, the inviting part of it is what sounds transactional in that example. Yeah. But... As a metaphor, I think it works. Yeah, like invited slash expected almost. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or invited maybe as in like, just because you're not invited doesn't mean you wouldn't be welcomed. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So maybe invited in that example means more like invited for a purpose or for a cause. Because like within that smaller unit of people, that smaller group, like, is there a need for anything more? No. Mm. Like for the purpose of a family, chosen family, close group of friends, you know, if the emotional support is there and if the mutual respect is there, then you're good. Yeah. Get bigger than that, then suddenly roles do need to be distributed and duties delegated and yeah, things like that. So I think the invitation is help us fill the need. Yeah. Not do this and you will belong. That's, I think, where it starts to get removed from you being an individual, too. Because that's even... It's that book, Sapiens. Have you read that? No, you were telling me about it. That's an awesome book, but I can't remember. It's right in the beginning of it where he's talking about... Like, there's an actual number of people that we're, like, wired to deal with, basically. Like, Mm -hmm. we're only capable of being intimate with... It's like, it could have been 30, it could have been 200. It was not more than 200, but it was... There's definitely an amount that's, like, weirdly small when you really kind of think about it. And beyond that number, we are not able to 
really process that level of intimacy. And that's where we start to have like legal fictions develop and like currency and like basically ways of conveying those inner feelings and inner values through social structures. And that stuff becomes a necessity at that point when like when a community would emerge. Sure. And I mean, that's to me, that's why it's so important to, to think about them a little bit more, a little bit more mechanically than I think our emotions would immediately allow us to. Huh. And especially because we are not like we had talked about with the um, like Foo Fighters girl and stuff. It's like when that love is given or when that acceptance is given in a way that's really meaningful, it will not feel conditional. And if you go through a lot of your life feeling it and it's sort of an unbroken extreme of that acceptance that's going towards you, then you don't question it and you shouldn't like, you can't really be faulted for not questioning it, but Jesus, when that, when that stream ends <laughs> and it's like, I'm still, I have a long ways to go with this and I'm yeah. only now in my life starting to get to a point where I can, like I would say the last one or two communities that I've found myself involved in, in any meaningful way are the first ones that I've ever been as close to at peace with that as I think I'm going to be without repetition. Right. And it was because I was looking at it and it wasn't nihilistic, but I just immediately was able to kind of like take that breath and be like, all right, everybody here has got a job. Everybody here thinks this is going to be forever. I'm here for a reason. This is all good. Like I am, I value being here. I like all these people. This is all cool. But at some point we'll all kind of value slightly different things or I will value slightly different things or I won't feel as though my needs are being met or I'll feel my skills are being abused or whatever. And like this will no longer be relevant. Yeah. And that doesn't have to be bad. And it was like a weight lifted at that point. And I still feel all the same sadness at the thought of losing mm. those connections or losing that acceptance. And I still feel a lot of the same social pressures, but it's really taken some of that stress off of having to feel like I have to acquiesce or, you know, kind of slip into a mold that seems to be emerging. So it's, to me, that's a healthy way of both acknowledging that communities are a necessity in our specific world for many people and also removing yourself just enough so that they don't knock you on your ass every time they dissolve. Because <laughs> yeah. they're supposed to. It's almost worse when they don't. Yeah, and well, and that's also the kind of, not antithesis, but like the counterpoint to your question at the beginning about like whether the, the church community was mutable in any yeah. way. Like, are you mutable enough to deal with those communities dissolving, to deal with different people coming up with different ideas, having different appreciations, playing different roles over time? Yeah just because they don't have the same exact significance to you at one point in your life as they did at another point in your life, are you going to stop allowing them into your community, into your chosen family or your little box of what you consider to be the community that you've chosen? Yeah. You know, are you mutable enough to allow others to belong? Yeah. Cause yeah, once you free yourself up to look at that, more directly it, it allows you to sort of take more breaths and let more mutation happen right without that having to be so consequential like without having to be like well good god if anything changes this ceases to be the thing that i thought it was it's that kind of like you can't step in the same river twice thing you know it's yeah like you really can't participate in the same community twice mm -hmm. you can pretend you are but eventually there's going to be a war or there's going to be a disagreement or there's whatever and 
like religion again without participating in it to any real extent it feels like something that's a really great way of looking at some of this stuff because when you think about it from a practical secular perspective it needs to not change because mm -hmm. it's global yeah and how the hell could you convey a mutation to the globe you know have everybody in lockstep with each other still like so when you look at it like walk back from there you think about someone who's like the pope probably wants to stay the pope <laughs> it's a pretty <laughs> like spirituality aside it's a sick gig <laughs> you're doing uh -huh. you're doing fine <laughs> things are good for you so like it's going to be in a lot of people's best interest for that community to not change. And even on the other end of it, people that just need it, like they need this thing to exist and to not get fucked up because everything else has, then it's also very much in their best interest. So it's kind of, I think like that would dissuade a lot of people from wanting to be in a community that has any rigidity to it. But it's like, if you can kind of find your own line and be like, you know what? I don't agree with all of this, but I value the acceptance or I value the interaction, then keep valuing it until it doesn't seem valuable anymore. At the same time, though, rigidity is really appealing to some people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've never understood that, but... Yeah, but rigidity is predictability until it isn't. R well, rigidity is predictability until the predictability uh, predictably punishes <laughs> you for being a human. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and making human errors, human mistakes. It's like the Taoist thing my dad told me growing up um i uh was standing at the window with my dad during a snowstorm one time and he was always into taoism and stuff and he told me like look out at these two trees like there was like a, a sapling sort of a young tree and then a big freaking oak and he was like which one is stronger and i was nine and i picked the oak and he's like no but think about it like the snow keeps accumulating on the oak and eventually it's going to, you know, it's strong, but eventually it's going to falter and it's going to snap and shatter everywhere. And the sapling, every two seconds, it's flipping down to the ground and letting all the snow off. Huh. So it's it's weaker in that way, but it's never going to break. Right. And so which one is stronger? And it was like, shit, man, that stuck with me for like 20 years. So it's like, huh. I think communities can function in the same way, but that rigidity is predictable because you like to go out and sit under the yoke. You like to look at it and say, that's a strong tree. It's been there for 150 years. But when that thing snaps or when that thing falls, I bet you built a house under there or like it's going to shatter everywhere or it's going to be a lot of shit to pick up. Mm -hmm. Whereas those little fluctuations can allow for the weight to be shifted in a, in an important way. Yeah. But I can see why some people would value a tree that they can climb. And that's our show. Black Market Therapy is a Dead and Mellow production. And to stay in touch with us, you can follow Black Market Therapy and Dead and Mellow Records on social media. If you'd like to reach out with any questions or comments, you can send an email to blackmarkettherapypodcast at gmail.com. This episode was scored using selections from the album Canopy by Grand Honey, which Matt and I both worked very hard on. And if you'd like to hear more, of course, you can go and check out our Grand Honey interview episode from a few weeks back. And we'll be back in two weeks to talk about imposter syndrome with our friend Ali Zagamey. Until then. <laughs>